Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord willing, I want to begin something that I end tonight. So it will be our theme for this entire day. In the epistle to the Ephesians, we have Paul showing us a typical manner of his. And that is in the first three chapters, laying forth what the Lord God has done for us. In love and mercy, electing us, predestinating us, justifying us, regenerating us, uniting Jews and Gentiles together in one body in Christ. He comes to the end of that third chapter of explaining what the Lord's done for us, blesses the Lord Jesus Christ with one of his blessings, and says, Amen. And then he takes up in the fourth chapter with the second half of the epistle, teaching us what we ought to do for the Lord, based on what he has done for us. That's why we have the word therefore in that first verse of chapter 4, just as we have it in the first verse of chapter 12 in the book of Romans, where the apostle will appeal to the mercies of God that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. Here he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And so in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we have a listing of how we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk worthy of our calling, and we are called to be saints. Chapter 5, everyone's familiar with chapter 5, the husband and wife chapter of the Bible, where husbands and wives are given their duties. In chapter 6, children and masters and servants are given their duties. But here in chapter 4, I want to focus on one short little verse. And it's verse 27. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. And this is the word of the Lord to you today. Neither give place to the devil. Amen. Amen. My sermon this morning and my sermon tonight will be give no place to the devil. Let us pray. Holy Father in heaven. I come to thee in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and men, and who possesses and owns the name that is given under heaven whereby all men must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, O Lord, before whom devils tremble. We thank thee for him. We thank thee, O Lord, that you have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We thank thee, O Lord, that you have laid all of our sins to his charge and that he willingly laid down his life on the cross of Calvary to pay for those sins. And because Jesus Christ has died, who is he that condemneth? And because thou hast elected, who is he that shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is you that justify, O Lord. I call upon thee now, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to put a hedge about this congregation Amen. and to, li- to deliver us from the powers of darkness yes. and Satan and his demons that would attempt to interrupt, disrupt, distract us from hearing and heeding and obeying your glorious word. Amen. O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask for you to deliver us and keep us free in this hour that we might worship thee acceptably. And, O Lord, if there be any here that have given place to the devil, forgive them and deliver them and deliver us all. 
And Heavenly Father, come to us by your Spirit, that we might rejoice in Jesus Christ our Savior, and that we might be convicted to the sober duties that we have before us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom we owe everything, and to whom we shall give all of our service and obedience. Amen. Amen. I am not worthy to preach this message. I've given place too many times in my life. But I thank God that I have a Savior who never gave place and who loved me and who died for me and who lives with me and walks with me and who called me. And so therefore I will open my mouth and preach to you the Word of God and I'm asking Him to bless it to your hearts this day. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 in a list of duties that we owe, the God who has saved us after creating us, He said, neither give place to the devil. You can give place to the devil. And we're not supposed to give place. You are not to give any ground to the devil. His goal is to push against you and to knock you down. He wants to destroy your walk with God and your life of obedience that pleases the Lord because he hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he's lost the battle, and he knows he has, and he knows what his eternal destiny is, he is going to try to take the sons of God, who are the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so take them off of their duties that they will not please the Lord. He is after us. I am not talking about a fable, and I am not talking about a figure of speech, and I am not talking about some imagination of some man. And I'm not talking about a lesson that we're to get. I'm talking about a real being. That in several measures might be more real than you are because he's existed a whole lot longer. In the Bible, he's called Satan and the devil, that old serpent and the great dragon. He's called the old serpent because we find him in the third chapter in this book confronting our first parents. So he's old and he's a serpent. Because he's subtle and tricky and crafty and dangerous. And he's a dragon for the same reasons. And he's the great dragon for the incredible power and influence that he has in this world. Now I could entertain you for the next 12 weeks. I've heard it done before. With all sorts of speculations about the devil and his influence in earthly conspiracies. But the Lord doesn't care about those, and neither have any saints of the Most High God, because those earthly conspiracies that involve flesh and blood are no threat to the kingdom of Christ. It is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in, and that is what I want to teach you this morning and tonight, to give no place to the devil in your life. Because spiritually, he's out to destroy you, so that when I say what I said a few minutes ago, about walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and having Him come and blessing you, some of you may not even know what I'm talking about because you've given place to the devil and he will snatch that idea out of your mind so that you will not even believe it. Far less experience it. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 
even our children can understand this verse. Give no place to the devil. There is a real devil, and he's after you, and you're not to give any place to him. You are to resist him and to stand and to stand firm and to oppose him. Look at this warning we have in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. Right there we have a problem. Our nation is not sober. Our nation is obsessed and addicted and drunk with laughter. With pleasure, with entertainment, with amusement. When the Bible says, be sober. Why does it say be sober? Because there's something serious going on. And if we're laughing, or if we're being entertained, or if we're amusing ourselves, we'll forget that there's something serious going on. And he will have an advantage of us. 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his devices lest he get an advantage of us. Satan can get an advantage of us if we are not sober. If we're living our life for pleasure and always thinking about things and activities and our bodies and our jobs and money and amusement and hobbies, he's got an advantage. You've given up the first maneuver to protect yourself and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's to be sober. We have a serious battle going on. The second thing he says is be vigilant. Now the word vigilant is a word that we should apply to guards. You know, if you were in war or combat in Vietnam or any other theater of war that you might want to recall right now, and there are troops in a camp sleeping, and guards have been posted around that camp, at the perimeter to protect those sleeping soldiers, there to be vigilant, those guards are. What does vigilant mean in such a case? Doesn't it mean to be careful, alert, focused, sensitive, tuned? The minute you relax, are you a good guard? Because is the enemy that's coming in going to walk up and say, see my uniform? I'm the wrong guy. Shoot me. Or is he going to be crawling through the grass as quietly as he possibly can to put a little piece of piano wire around your neck and choke the life out of you with nary a sound? Vigilant. Does that help you understand? Look at at what the apostle is telling us. 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant. This nation, I'm talking about the Christians in this nation, do not do those things any longer. And let's not worry about them. This is to you and to me. Are we as sober and as vigilant as we should be? Because, here's why, here's the battle upon us. Because your adversary, you have an enemy. Your adversary is not the Federal Reserve System, the United Nations, the Illuminati, the the Council on Foreign Relations, or anyone else. They're nothing. They've never accomplished anything, never will. They're nothing. You have an adversary, and we're told what it is. Because your adversary, the devil, 
as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This devil is as a lion. That's a figure of speech to give to pick a beast. He's called a serpent elsewhere. Subtle, crafty, sneaky, and dangerous. And a lion is subtle, sneaky, crafty, and dangerous, and powerful. We have a lion here, and this lion is walking about. We've all seen nature programs where we've seen that lion walking about, and as soon as his eyes witness that little herd of antelope out there in a clearing, he drops down, doesn't he? Drops down and begins wiggling forward, wiggling forward, finding a weak one who isn't sober or vigilant. He doesn't want a mess with the three bucks at the front of the group. He wants to find the weak ones that are not being sober. The young ones that are not being vigilant. And all of a sudden there's a burst of speed and that poor little unwatching, ignorant, naive little antelope is nothing but an explosion of fur, blood, bone, and flesh being devoured. And that lion sits there and licks its chops as he eats it. And the buzzards take the rest. This lion does not want to jump on your lap and have you scratched under the chin. This lion doesn't want to scratch you with its claws. This lion wants to devour you. Satan wants to devour you and take you down to where you can never rise up again. Every castaway that he can get out of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a victory for him. I know well what I'm talking about. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary. Brethren, do you hear the verse? I wonder how many of you will walk out of here and still be worried about some other adversary that can't do us any harm, never has, never will, when we've got an adversary that takes everything we've got. You can't sit there and play cards when you're on the guard post. You've got to be vigilant and sober. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As the apostle concludes this epistle to the Ephesians, he again brings up this subject in verse 10 of chapter 6. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Finally, my brethren, here is a point that he wants to leave these Ephesian saints with in that 10th verse. Brethren, get this. Be strong. In the Lord and the power of His might. There is power available, and you better be using it. Verse 11, we need to put on the whole armor. And tonight we'll get to the armor. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to destroy the devil? No. There's no way. There's only one man that can do that. That ye may be able to stand. It doesn't say run against him. It says stand. If ye may be able to stand. Against the wiles of the devil. 
that she may be able to stand against his wiles. What's a wile? Deceptive ability, tricks, guile, craft, temptations, seductions. He will get your soul. If you are not sober and vigilant, putting on the whole armor of God, it is a given fact. Not he might. He's too efficient. He will. And if, you, if this morning you're thinking that I'm barking too loudly on such a small subject, he's got you already. You will tremble before this adversary until you look to Jesus Christ and get his whole armor on and give him no place. You give him a place, you're down. Give no place to the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I have wasted too much of my life, and I've watched too many other people waste too much of their lives chasing and fighting the windmills of flesh and blood. We have a battle that's going to take everything we've got to walk with the Lord as we should and live the holy and godly lives that we should. And here's the, here's the battle right here. If you want to call it a conspiracy because it makes your mind feel better, call it a conspiracy. But in the 12th verse of Ephesians 6 is the battle that children of God have. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There's no denomination that we can accuse. There's no man that we can accuse. There's no organization. It is a spiritual battle, and every word in Ephesians 6.12 is describing spiritual concepts. Principalities. A principality is a prince and his authority. What is Satan called? The prince of the power of the air. The prince of darkness. That prince is the head of this kingdom. He is Satan and the devil, that old serpent and the great dragon. He has a kingdom. Jesus said, they came to him one time and they were murmuring in their hearts as they saw Jesus cast out devils. And they could see this man was demon-possessed. And Jesus would say, come out of that man. And the demon would leave. And the man would all of a sudden be able to hear and be able to speak because it was a spirit of deafness and dumbness that was in that man. And those that crowd around him murmured and said, he's casting out devils by the power of the devil. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, that doesn't make any sense. Satan's far more intelligent than that for you to be reasoning such stupid speculations. I'm, I'm adding, obviously, to the sense for you to understand the sense. I'm, I'm adding to the words for you to understand the sense. He said, if a kingdom's divided against itself, it cannot stand. Right. If Satan's kingdom be divided against itself, it won't stand. And it has stood 4,000 years, and it will stand. Until I destroy it. He didn't add that, but that was, that's implied because we know the rest Amen. of the Bible. Right. But he's got a kingdom. And at the pinnacle of that kingdom is Satan, who was once created the anointed cherub of God, the highest angelic being there is. You will find no angel in the word of God able to walk up to him and rebuke him. Or to overcome him in a battle. Name them. They have to rebuke him in the name of the Lord. And they don't bring railing accusations against him. They know who he is. This is not storytelling time. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, princes and their dominion, and against powers, those under generals, under Satan, the great prince and the princes that work with him. Powers. We have powers in this world. We should understand what that. We have principalities. We have municipalities. Do you all follow the, the language here? This is all spiritual. There's no flesh and blood in verse 12 because it says there's no flesh and blood in verse 12. We are wrestling against spiritual princes, the powers that work for them, and these are also called the rulers of the darkness of this world. They rule, but they rule in a dark sphere. He is the prince of darkness, the, the, the realm of sin, the realm of a kingdom that is opposed to God, that loves darkness, that loves ignorance for its pe- for people, itself is very intelligent, exceedingly intelligent, more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord God had created, far greater than a man, far greater than the angels, except a few that are close to Satan, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The high places are not in Washington. They're not in the city offices downtown Greenville. They're not in the United Nations building. There's no power in the United Nations building. Never has been, never will be. That's all a facade created by Satan. That's nothing. The men that are fighting that are the ones Satan's already got them. That's why they're fighting it. He's got them. Because if you're fighting that, you've missed the battle. You're playing cards. And the piano wire is about to go around your throat. Probably already has. There's just blood pumping out of the stump. Because the real battle is right here. Right. It's the devil. Amen. Be sober. Be vigilant. You have an adversary. He's like a lion. He wants to devour you. Amen. And it's in high places. High places. When the, when the Lord, in his word, wants to tell us about how high Jesus Christ's throne is, do you know how he mentions it, describes it? As being above these principalities and powers. It's right over there in chapter 1 of this same book. He's put all things under his feet and gave him... It's it's in verse 21. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now that's how high Jesus Christ is. But I don't want to get to the end yet. That's how high he is. Was it above that or far above all that? I love him. Lord, bless your people to hear me today. Turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Let's see his kingdom at work just briefly. The book of Daniel. If you were to get 10 million American citizens to write petitions, to change our government, to throw the United Nations off our shores, whatever... I can accomplish more in my office in five minutes than they would all do with all their petitions. Easy. No problem. Because so what? The building moves. We have a different form of government. Nothing's changed. Satan is still the controlling influence. This world is his. It was given to him. But there's a kingdom within this world, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not his. And he's out to destroy it. Anytime he wants to, that the Lord will give him permission, 
he will bring the whole world against that kingdom. It doesn't matter what form of government you've got. It doesn't matter what piece of paper you want to call your constitution. He will bring that nation against the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 10, we have a description here. Or we, have some, we don't have much of a description. It's just a statement. Here's an angel that comes and speaks to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. And he says to Daniel in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now, I want you to listen. This is a, I'm, I'm going to chase a very short rabbit and shoot it dead. Do you see in verse 12 how a godly man prays? The Lord doesn't always answer right then on the spot. But this man, Daniel was chastening himself, repenting, seeking the Lord with his whole heart. And he'd been doing it for several days to understand his words had been heard by God. And God had sent help, but that help had been hindered. Because I read in verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand. Finally, Daniel's getting the answer to his prayer. But he'd been hindered over 21 days until Michael came to help him. Now, brethren, we are not reading Aesop's fables. Alexander the Great, was he a great man? Oh, I don't know. What's a great man? The Bible says when you take man at his very best, he's altogether vanity. I don't know. I think he put his pants on the same way we do. I think it took him several years to learn how to tie his shoes. I think he would have fallen down five or ten times the first time he tried to ride a bike. I don't know if Alexander the Great was a great man. I don't know what those words mean. He's nothing. But he had power. And the power was the prince of Greece. And that prince of Greece is the principality of Ephesians 6.12. And a fallen angel, a prince of Satan's, that gave power to a pagan empire. Or, or do you want to say that maybe it was Cyrus the Persian that withstood this angel from heaven for 21 days? Look at verse 20. Then said he, this is that angel still speaking, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? He's asking a question. And he says, And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. When I get done fighting one, in the Lord's timing, listen, the Lord governs everything. And the Lord's sitting back watching these incredible beings he's created do conflict, do battle. And as soon as I defeat the Persians, the prince of Greece is going to come. And that is Alexander the Great. And he was motivated by demons. And power was given to him so that he would know and could perform exploits. Because the Lord gave him that through those demons. The Lord uses them like we would use a hunting dog. But I want you to see the conflict that goes on between nations. What do you think you're going to do? Get a petition signed? Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me? Why are you so simple? We should be in our closets begging God for our nation. In five minutes in your closet... Getting down and telling the Lord that you understand 
and that he's in charge, and he's the only power and might in the world that can change things, and trusting him, you can do far more good there than anywhere else. You'll notice in the New Testament, the apostles, for some reason, believe the same way I do. Did you know that in the whole New Testament, there isn't one sentence about worrying about social evil? God couldn't care less. That world is the devil's. He cares about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be concerned about. That's where we need to give our time. Let's talk about Satan for a minute. This being called Satan, who has generals under him that are called principalities and powers, and that are the rulers of the darkness of this world, and the spiritual wickedness in high places that motivated these governments, that Satan could come before the Lord. When he sinned, because he thought he would be like the Most High God. And I I need to point out, he never said that, and I've told you this before, but it's worth hearing. He never thought that he would be greater than the Most High God, because how are you greater than infinite glory and greatness? He just wanted to be like the Most High God, Ezekiel 28 tells us. When he was demoted from his position of being the anointed cherub of worshiping God and placed in the earth... He could walk to and fro in the earth because it was given to him to give it to whomsoever he would under the Lord's control. He could also go back into heaven. Turn to the book of Job. In the book of Job. Job is not a storybook. Job is a true event. It's history. Amen. Can you believe 13, 20, hey, get a bachelor's degree. How many years of history have you had if you get a bachelor's degree? I mean, can you believe it? What do you know? Nothing. Nothing. You've heard about Greece. You've heard about Persia. A little bit. Can't remember that because all you did was cram for a test. And you miss the great history that really counts. The great history that really counts is there is a conflict going on that is out of sight. But it's in this room. Except there's not much in this room because I prayed for there not to be this morning. It's outside this room. Have you ever heard me pray for a hedge about this church? I pray for my family all the time for the Lord to have a hedge about my family. Because I want that fence up. I was trying to explain to my younger children last night or to the whole family that we have an invisible fence in our yard and it didn't cost me anything but a little bit of prayer. And that invisible fence is incredibly powerful. It's the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And his shed blood and his power and his victory over Satan and all of his principalities and powers. They can come and bang into that and get electrocuted all they want. There is no power in Jonathan Crosby. And all of you can say amen, because you all know it. And it's all the result of not keeping Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. And all of you had better be keeping Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. He can take you down. Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Who were the sons of God in Job 1 6? The angels. The sons of God. His creation. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said, Where have you been, Satan? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down. And it sounds like 1 Peter 5, 8, doesn't it? Hasn't changed a bit. As a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
and God brags about Job. Oh, what a blessing. Job didn't give place to the devil. Job didn't even give place to the devil through his children. Have you read the first chapter of Job? Amen. You want to have a conflict? Instead of reading the Spotlight magazine, newspaper, and wasting your time worrying about those projects, take on this project. Amen. Pray for each of your children. Did you know that Job would get down, offer a sacrifice to God, and ask God to forgive his children if perchance they might have sinned in their heart? What kind of a man is that? Is that a father? That is a father. That is a father. Not one that goes to Washington and marches in the street. Not one that goes to some coliseum and sits with 30,000 other heretics and sings Amazing Grace. There's no grace in there. There can't be. That's another subject for another time. Just a delusionary tactic of Satan to get men together breaking down the word of God and taking off the very first piece of armor. Truth. It is incredibly simple. It is really simple. The, how about that? Come home from work. Great, I've got time. How long till supper, honey? 30 minutes? And all of a sudden, Dad disappears. And Dad's praying for every one of his children that the Lord will put a hedge about them and forgive them for the sins that they may have committed in their heart. That's what Job did. And when the Lord sees a man like that, he looks down from heaven. He's got Satan there before him, and he says, What do you think of Job? And, oh, Satan, Satan knows. Satan says, well, you're protecting him and blessing him so much. Let me at him for a few minutes and he'll curse you to your face. And so the Lord pulls down the hedge. But our good brother Job, he is our brother too. Amen. He'd be sitting in here this morning if he was in Greenville. Right. He's our brother Job. He didn't say any, he didn't charge God in any way, did he? Amen. Naked came I out of mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. Who cares? I've just lost everything. Lost my whole family. Didn't have one when I got here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Happens the second time. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Again, look at what I've done to Job. And he still hasn't cursed me. Look at him. Satan said, let me have his body. The Lord gives him his body, pulls the hedge down further, and Job's covered with sore boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and still he doesn't curse God, and his wife, that wicked woman, comes by and says, curse God and die. Is that as low? Can you get lower than that? I don't think so, or Satan would have done it. He still didn't charge God foolishly. And he rebuked that woman. Satan had access to God's throne. When the stakes are large, Satan gets involved in a man's life. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 21. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Satan's got thousands and thousands of demons working for him and princes and powers under him. But when the stakes are large and it's the kingdom of Christ, he'll get involved. And so you'll read about him. Now, we read about deaf and dumb spirits in the New Testament, all sorts of demons. I mean, one man had how many? A legion. Could have been up to 6,000 demons. And it ran a whole herd of swine, 
into the ocean and choke themselves. Irrational behavior demons create. But we're talking about Satan. He's our adversary because he's the head. He's the most powerful. Let's learn about the head of that kingdom of darkness according to the word of God and no further. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Was it a commandment for the Israelites never to number their armies? Yes. Why? Because to do so will be to trust in numbers in your military preparation instead of trusting in the Lord. David knew better than that. David was a man that walked with God. David wrote us all the Psalms. David wrote Psalm 23, He restoreth my soul. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. David was better than you and me. But when the Lord says, Okay, Satan, go ahead. Satan stands up against the kingdom of Israel and against David, and David wanted that nation numbered immediately. Immediately. We don't read about, hey, how long do you think it took? How long do you think it took Satan to get David to number Israel? I know what, I know what the purpose is here. The Lord allowed this to happen because I know Second Samuel 24, verse 1, where it says the Lord did it. Because the Lord wanted an occasion against Israel because they'd been wicked. So he wanted an occasion to judge them, but he used David. And that quickly, that easily, that simply, a God-fearing man who walks with God will do anything. He's numbering Israel. Even though Joab said, don't do it. Don't do it, David. That's wrong. Because Satan was was, was using David. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. How about Judas Iscariot? What would cause a man who had spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, watching him do nothing but good, having only been dealt with gently, tenderly, and lovingly, what would motivate him to go to the high priests and take a small sum of money to betray him into their hands? What could cause that? Luke 22 and verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. That's how it can happen. Very easily. Now there wasn't anything else inside Judas Iscariot. Did it say that Satan entered into David? Just hold on to that. Just keep it. Greater greater is he that is in you than he that is also in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm getting ahead, but I just can't help it. I don't want you to worry one bit about whether Satan can enter into you or not. I want to tell you something about our Lord Jesus Christ, though. When he came to earth as a man, as a man, remember, in the Garden of Eden, it was Satan against men and a woman. How long did it take? I can read it in under 10 seconds. That conversation took place so fast, and Eve was over there eating on the forbidden fruit. I mean, it didn't take long at all. I mean, it's just over with. He knew to go after her instead of Adam. And he got her in just a few seconds. And then she, obviously women have done it many, many, many times, got him. And there they were. But then the prophecy was 
that that woman would have a son. And that son, you mean flesh and blood, Satan would say, is going to bruise your head. Right. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And when he came into this world, when he came into this world, there was a tremendous event that took place not seen. Only we, know, we only know about it by faith. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Right. Luke 10, 18. Jesus said, just as he was going to the cross in John chapter 12 and verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Satan was able to get to the throne of God and accuse the brethren there. He got there to accuse Job. But no longer. Not after Jesus Christ died. Because after Jesus Christ died and put away our sins, pray tell me, what will he charge us with? Jesus paid for them all. Now he can still come and cast a fiery dart into your heart where you're wondering about the things you've done, but there's no wondering in heaven. There's no accusations being made there. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus said in John 12, 31. And what a judgment it was because Satan was cast into the earth knowing that he has a short time. The time frame left before his final judgment is shrinking. And so the poor world is stuck with that being to be here all the time. Satan is not omnipresent. When we use the word omnipresent, that means to be in all places at all times. Only God is omnipresent. Satan has to come from a place to be in another place. That's Job said that. Did you see that in Job? There was a day when the sons of God came before the Lord. Where have you been? Well, I've been everywhere, Lord. No, I've been in the earth. And he came before the Lord. You'll find him. Because he's the best of the best of a kingdom of darkness. Revelation chapter 12. Brethren, this is a very simple chapter to understand. This is a picture of the conflict between Jesus Christ and Satan. Verse 1, talking about a woman with a moon under her feet is the church. Old and New Testament. The moon's the Old Testament. The glory of the sun shining above her head is the New Testament. It's a woman. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Never make the, two, the churches two, because it's one church. Right. Just had a reformation in it. And she brought forth a man-child that was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And there's another wonder, a red dragon, seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads and ten horns, you can tell from chapters 13 and 17 and 18, is the pagan Roman Empire. And the crowns are on the seven heads. It's the seven forms of government that pagan Rome had. Here, Satan is under the guise of a, of a beast that can be found in Daniel chapter 7 that can also be found in chapters 13, 17, and 18 of the pagan Roman Empire. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, that is the angels, and cast them to the earth. He took a third of the host of heaven with him and stood before the church of Israel and the church of the New Testament to destroy and devour the child as soon as it was born. What happened shortly after Jesus was born? Do you remember an edict that went out that every child under two years of age was to be destroyed? Right. How hard do you think it was for Satan to have that edict passed? Easy. Easy. But, the, but anyway, the Lord brought through his church and from his church 
a man child to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Who sits in the throne of God in heaven that was once a child? The Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the woman, which is the church, fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared of God and was hid and protected for 1,260 years. And those are the 1,260 years of the revived Roman Empire in which she persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prepared places were through the recesses and caves and valleys and mountains of Europe. And there was war in heaven. Now this is at the coming, this is at the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's different events being described, but it's all happening in the ministry of Jesus Christ ascending up into heaven. There was war. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Jesus said in John 12, same author, right? John, John. We, John Jesus said, John wrote it. John, no, the other gospel writers didn't write it. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes up and sits on his throne. And what does he say just before he leaves? His last words to his apostles, telling them to go out and preach. But before he told them to go preach, what did he say? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What had he told Peter on one occasion? You're right, Peter. The church is going to be built on the statement and the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Gates. Who's taking whom? Gates are defensive. The church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Christ, is taking the kingdom of darkness with the preaching of the gospel because Jesus Christ has all power given unto him in heaven and in earth. Now we come to verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, just like Jesus said he would be. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. No longer a place in heaven. And I heard a voice, loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Jesus said, All power is given unto me when? At his ascension. Don't think of this as some future event. This is 2,000 years old. So much confusion today. And do you know why? Because if Satan can get you off of the truth so that you don't know that Jesus Christ is already the victor, you lose the power. Remember, in order to be able, that she may be able to stand, what did you need to do? Stand in all the power and might of God. Right. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is cast down from heaven, no longer having access to the throne of God to be able to accuse us. There's nothing to accuse us of because Jesus sits there as our constant intercessor, reminding God of what he has done for us and that we are his blood-bought children. Glorious. And they, that is the brethren, In verse 11, and they overcame him, that is Satan in the earth and his devils and his demons, by the power of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Here are the martyrs, brethren, who overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They knew that he had no claims against them because Jesus Christ 
had died for them. Their names were in the book of life. Their place in heaven was secure. Satan could do nothing against them. And they laid down their lives gladly. And they had the word of their testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. And they overcame him. Could he have destroyed them? Oh, how easily. Except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, oh, how difficult. How impossible. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, because Satan's out of them, out of the heavens. And ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And then we can go on and read further about the persecution of him casting a great flood of water. Persecution and false doctrine out after that woman. But the earth swallowed it up by the woman being allowed to get away. And she survived, though Daniel chapter 7 said that that pagan power and that papal power would wear out the saints of the Most High God. And so many of them gave their lives. Brethren, how much do you love Jesus Christ today? I want to ask you a question. I asked you earlier today, and I'm asking you because I love you. I'm not asking you this way because I'm mad at you. I'm asking because I love you. Have you sung to the Lord Jesus Christ this week? I want to tell you about these brethren. They sang to the Lord Jesus Christ tied to a stake with flames consuming their lives. And the words coming out of them were, forgive their persecutors. Who in the world could give power like that but the Lord Jesus Christ? And they would sing, Thou art worthy. Are you ready? Could you stand there and sing, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power by my death? And we don't even face anything like that. And we don't have the time because we're too busy playing. Satan has nothing to accuse you of before God. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested. 1 John 3, 8, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What is the work of the devil? Yea, hath God said, that is the work of the devil, to get us to sin. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came into the world. Listen, I saw him yesterday. I wanted to pull a sword and fight in his army so bad. And this is how I get to do it. But I'm trusting him to bless you today, to love him for what he did for us. Satan is way more than a match for us. And he took our first parents and destroyed us all with sin. But Jesus Christ has delivered us. If Satan were ever allowed to sift you, brethren, you'll fall faster than Peter. Don't ever pick on Peter. Peter was a great apostle. Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't pick on Peter. I read over there in Luke 22 about verse 30. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee that he might sift thee like wheat. Find where the weak spots are. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for thee. Amen. And when I'm going to let you fall, Peter. I'm going to let him have you, and it's going to take about one second and a little handmade, and you're going to go down, even though you're promising me right now, within 24 hours of the event, you're promising me you'll die for me. You're going to go down. 
But I have prayed for thee that when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That is my Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love him this morning? That is my Savior. He's prayed for me and I love him for it. What would he say to us this morning? This is going to be longer than two sermons. I don't care. What would he say to us this morning? Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. What would Jesus say when he encounters Satan? Luke chapter 4 and verse 8. Get thee behind me, Satan. And oh, that hurts. That hurts for the most powerful angelic being ever made to hear that from a man. The man, Christ Jesus. Can you... Do you get the splendor of this? Amen. The Lord God has devised the most glorious drama in... I mean, it's beautiful. Right. And guess who gets all the honor and the glory? He does. He does. The Lord Jesus Christ is lifted so high. A man. He would sit in a chair if he were here this morning. No, I'd sit and he'd be here, but you know what I meant. A man. Get thee behind me, Satan. Was there any question about whether he would or not? None. Isn't that glorious? The Apostle Paul would write to the Romans, the Romans living in Rome. Why isn't there a word in in the book of Romans about fighting the Caesars? All there is is submission to the Caesars. But do you know what really is great in there that's political? You want a political statement? Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan shortly under your feet. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. We're going to bruise Satan under our feet because we are the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you ever see on a playground the little guy that had a big friend? We have the Lord Jesus Christ as our friend, our lover, our savior, our bridegroom. And he will come to you, and he will be your deliverer. But you cannot give him any pla- the devil any place. Right. And that's the purpose of this day. And so far today, we haven't covered what I wanted to. Because what I want to look at are some of the illustrations in the Word of God. We've seen a couple. We Just briefly, we thought about Eve. We saw David numbering Israel so quickly. We saw Peter going so quickly. If you give him a place in your life, he will take you down. He is not so foolish to take you into Mormonism or some pagan religion. He will take you down into carnal Christianity where you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and He has won. And then we have a church that goes through the motions and has the form of godliness but denies the power thereof. Does it all come together, brethren? Can you tell that I can't get off this subject? And I don't want to until we have a full-blown revival to where I see every young person and old person caring about loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean coming here. My, that doesn't mean coming here. It means giving no place to the devil. It means living a holy life. 
It means praying in private and begging the Lord to come to you and to walk with you and to give you strength to live righteously and victoriously in the world. We cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. I didn't go beyond the Word of God. You haven't heard anything about Freemasonry from from me? Nothing about the Illuminati, the Rosicrucians? Nothing. No. We don't do that here. This is a New Testament church. We went with the Bible and what it said. And we're going to look at some illustrations tonight. Then we're going to look at how we give no place to the devil. We'll go as far as we can. But But Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, For we are not ignorant of his devices, lest he should get an advantage of us. So we need sermons like this to remind us of the great adversary we have and what we're supposed to do. Be sober and be vigilant. He's out to devour us. Do you know how great he is? A minister can be a perfect minister of the New Testament. Here's a perfect minister of the New Testament. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That's hard to do when someone's opposing themselves to be meek with them. But there's a New Testament minister doing his very best, fulfilling all of that, and yet the Apostle Paul has to tell that New Testament minister, if God, peradventure, will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may be recovered out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That is an adversary. If God peradventure. Can you move the peradventures of God? Absolutely. By prayer. And I hope that we will be a... God-seeking people. I hope that Psalm 101 will be our theme. I will, I will, I will. Oh, when wilt thou come to me? The I wills of Psalm 101 are nothing but the give no place to the devil of Ephesians 4.27. It's all very simple. We're going to look at the armor if the Lord will bless us tonight and to see how we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And in the evil day, having done all, to stand. That's all the Lord's asking for us to do is to stand and oppose Satan who is out to destroy our souls. And brethren, the greatest enemy is not out there. There's no name for it. There's no denomination. There's no organization. It is carnal Christianity. It's a form of godliness without the power. He's one. We can't give him a place to get that. Let's pray for revival in this congregation so that we'll all stand. May Jesus Christ be praised from beginning to end. Amen. Stand with me, and let's sing Jude 24 and 25 as our benediction.